Good morning. It's great to see everybody here. I want to welcome each of you out this morning. It's good to see you. And uh, we have had quite a change of our weather, and uh, we continue to uh, move through a challenging time uh, and maybe even get a little more challenging as uh, as time goes on. But you know, uh, we're promised those things, aren't we? We're promised that life is going to have its challenges and even suffering. And so today we're going to be talking a little bit about human suffering. And I want to ask you a question up front. What do you think Satan thinks of human suffering? What do you think Satan thinks of human suffering? For years, I've always kind of thought that Satan would love to see human beings suffer. I mean, after all, he is the one who started that to begin with. He's the one that initiated pain and suffering whenever he brought sin into our world. And, uh, and honestly, he uses that to turn some people away from God. We know that there are people who uh, resent God or blame God for whatever's going on in their lives if they're suffering. But I suspect also that Satan, in a part of him, secretly hates suffering because he has seen it draw too many people toward God. You know, the Bible tells us that God has a way of taking what Satan meant for evil and turning it for good, especially in the life of a believer. And I think about somebody like the, uh, the, the man Job, you know, back in the Old Testament. God allowed Satan to afflict Job with suffering. If you remember that story, uh, it says all the uh, gods came together, all the spirits came together, and uh, they were looking uh, down at earth, and there was a conversation between God and Satan about this man, uh, Job. And God said, look what a righteous man he is. And Satan said, yeah, because he's got everything. You blessed him. He, He has longing for nothing and God said, well, I believe that if everything were taken from him, he still would be faithful. And uh, so God allowed Satan to do that. He took away his crops, his livestock, his wealth. All of his children were killed in one fell swoop. Then his health was taken away. His friends turned against him. His wife was not sympathetic. You know, he was advised by everyone. God has turned on you. Curse God and die. But we know the patience of Job, the faithfulness of Job. He did not do that, but he trusted God through all of that, and in fact, he was blessed greater after than before. Greater crops, greater wealth, uh, more children came along. And so God blessed him through the suffering. I got a feeling Satan wished he had never challenged God because that story, that legacy has echoed down through time. Now, the reality is that most of us are going to be called to suffer to some extent in this life, some more than others, obviously. We know that there are people whose life are just one big experience of suffering, And there are other people who seem to kind of skate through life and not really have any challenges, right? But most of us have a mixed bag of sorrow and joy and sickness and health, of brokenness and wholeness, of of pain and being pain-free, of loss, rejection, sometimes persecution. And you know, there's a reminder that there are a lot of ways to suffer. And let me clarify that sometimes we'll suffer as a Christian, we'll suffer as a human being because we're alive, because we're vulnerable to these things. And there are some times that we suffer as Christians and because we are Christians. And so today I want to talk primarily about suffering because you are a Christian, because that's where our text is going to take us today. But you know what? Suffering is suffering. Whatever the purpose may be, whatever the experience may be, suffering is suffering. It's all miserable. It's all difficult. It's all hard. But through all of that, the Bible is going to tell us that we can overcome that. So while we're going to talk about suffering through persecution today, I want you to feel free to insert your own suffering in here. And the real question comes out of this, can you find joy in your suffering? 
Can you find joy in suffering, the difficult things of life? Not what we want, not what we long for, but what we have to experience. Can we find joy in those things? So we're in a series now that we've been for two weeks now called Joy to the World. And we're looking at the book of Philippians. It's going to take us to Christmas, but it's not really a Christmas series, as you probably already figured out. But we're going to be talking about joy, how we can have joy today, joy through suffering. And this book was written, as I reminded you last week, by the Apostle Paul, who was himself suffering. He was in a Roman prison. He had been wrongfully arrested. He had been imprisoned for, for preaching about Jesus. He refused to do so. He was accused of, of uh, some crimes, and they took him to jail, but he refused to stop even there. And let me remind you that he was in suffering personally, physically. In that day, Roman jails were not pleasant. They were not posh, comfortable places. In fact, they were dark and cold. Everything was maximum security because they took prisoners very seriously. They were not concerned for the comfort or the health of the individual. Someone said they didn't even feed them. They had to provide their own food or somebody had to bring it in, or they might even starve to death. Added on top of that, Paul had some sort of physical ailment of some sort that no doubt only got worse while he was in prison. And nobody cared. Nobody was concerned about his comfort on the inside. So he had true suffering physically that he was going through. But you know what? We said last week Paul was using that imprisonment, even his suffering, gave him a platform to advance the gospel by teaching uh, to the guards and anybody else who would listen. So he was using that to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was suffering physically, but you know, it wasn't just physical suffering that he was experiencing. Because we're going to read about today and talk about how that sometimes people can make us suffer. Sometimes people can hurt us deeply, and sometimes even people in the church can do that, other believers. See, while he was in prison, he had people who were openly opposing him within the church. And looking at this picture, it's not a proud thing to talk about. It's not something we like to, to acknowledge, but sometimes we see exactly how imperfect the church can really be. We see how we can fail one another. We see how we can hurt one another. The reality is that we are redeemed as believers, but we're not yet perfect, and sometimes we do things intentionally or unintentionally that make other people suffer, and that's what Paul's going through here. So let's pick up Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul said, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in, in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So here we have Paul in prison, and Paul is, granted, a very strong personality, and he is kind of a polarizing figure. You either really liked Paul or you didn't like Paul. You know, you know people like that today, right? They, they kind of make you decide what you think about them. And not all the believers of that day liked Paul or even respected Paul. Many of them did not believe he was genuine. Many of them did not trust him. In his previous life before becoming a Christian, he had persecuted other Christians, and he had put them to death, and some people had a hard time getting past that and forgiving him. And, and uh, you know, and looking back in hindsight today, we see that Paul was right. We see that Paul was uh, called by God. He was an apostle. He was being used mightily by God. But in that day, there were people who didn't trust him, and they were put off by his boldness. He acknowledged that. You know, today, we sometimes can look at other believers, sometimes other, you know, nationally known people or 
believers that we know, preachers, and our opinions about them, you know, may not be the best. We may be critical of them. But we're pretty wise to keep our opinions to ourselves unless they are uh, uh, outwardly and blatantly heretical. We have to be careful what we say about other people because one day we may find out that they were genuine, that we were wrong about them, just like Paul's distractors will one day find out they were wrong about him. But there were a group of people that seemingly were down on Paul and they were preaching Jesus. Now, in this scripture we're talking about, we're going to look at four groups of people real quick, four different types of people. And I hope you find yourself in one of them. I hope you find yourself in the first group. But there are other people in the last three groups. So here's the first group. The first group are people with a good message and a good motive. A good message and a good motive. You know, God cares about what we say. And so if we're going to have a message, our message matters. It needs to be truth. But God also cares about our motives. God cares about why we do certain things and even why we talk about Jesus. Our motive for our message should be always to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that's easy to say out there, but I will tell you in the world I live in, sometimes it's easy to get our motives mixed up. Sometimes it's easy for us to forget why we do this. And if you don't think that's true, uh, look at um, nationally known ministers and guys who get way above everybody else and then they fall a long, long way because their message may be true, but their, their motive may not be the best. So we have to keep our motive pure. Paul says that there are some people who are preaching the gospel, the truth, the good message out of goodwill and love. And these were people that, probably the majority of people, but, but they knew that Paul was in prison in defense of the gospel. They knew that his imprisonment was unjust but necessary to communicate Jesus. By the way, there was a strong church in Rome, and more than likely it began by the Apostle Paul, who went there uh, in, in chains. And then later on, the church grew beyond the prison, obviously. But these people who knew that and were understood Paul had stepped up to fill the void of Paul, who was now being detained. So he was a missionary. He traveled everywhere, but now he couldn't travel. So there were other people stepping up to do that. And we know that some of those people were people like Timothy and Titus and, and John Mark, and they were carrying on the message of the mission without him. But they all had a good message good motive. They loved Paul. They understood. They wanted the gospel he carried forth. But then he also said there are, there's another group of people, and they have a good message, but they have a bad motive. A good message, but a bad motive. Some of Paul's critics were preaching Jesus, you can imagine this, out of envy, rivalry, insincerity, and they were trying to steer up trouble for Paul while he was in jail. Now, that seems a shame that they were putting Jesus in the midst of their personal feelings and their dislike of Paul. They were definitely not on team Paul, and they were openly critical, or maybe they were secretly happy that he had been imprisoned. You know, I don't have to tell you that not every preacher has universal support and appreciation. I don't have to tell you that. You know, I've had my critics through the years, been at this almost 40 years, and to be honest with you, I've brought a lot of it on myself. You know, I've been wrong a lot of times. I've done things wrong. That, that makes us all human, right? But I really tried to do, I've tried to have the right motive as well as a good message. My response has always been to try to just keep being me, answer to God, outlive the critics, repair relationships if possible. I have no problem saying I'm sorry. If I've offended you, please let me know. I never mean to offend except with the truth. But my goal is just keep preaching Jesus. And the reason for that is because one day I only have to answer to one person, and that is Jesus. So I want to be right with him 
even if it makes me wrong or crossed with somebody else. But we all make mistakes, right? So we have to understand that sometimes our hearts aren't always right. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we don't understand the heart of somebody else. You know, today, occasionally, you'll hear one Bible teacher trash talk another out of envy. And that's what was happening here. Paul was gifted. Paul had a platform, we would say today. Paul would be trending and viral. Everybody was following Paul. Paul wasn't selling books, but he was writing books and like crazy, and people were just gobbling them up. Paul was sincere. He was just doing what God had called him to do and gifted him to do. But then he was arrested in the middle of all of that, and then he was put in jail, and that there were people now who were happy and kicking him while he was down. And Paul knew that. The word would filter back about these people that didn't like him and that were casting doubt on his character. No doubt some of them were accusing him of abusing his power and position. Some of them were accusing him probably of some immorality that they had made up, embezzling money. Who knows what it was? They were, they were uh, courting his donors. They were going after his followers. They were probably painting Paul in this bad light so they could advance their own causes instead of the, the message of Christ. But they were preaching Jesus. You know what? There are times when you disagree with another Christian so much that you have to go different directions. I know that to be true. In the Bible, uh, Paul and Barnabas were missionary journeying together, and they took a young man with them named John Mark. And John Mark was young, and he got homesick, and about halfway through the journey, he bailed out and went home. Well, that, that really upset Paul. Barnabas kind of rolled with it. You know, his name was Son of Encouragement. So he just wanted to encourage John Mark. And so when the next journey came up, Barnabas said, I know, let's take John Mark with us. He's grown up. And Paul said, nope, you know, he's out. He bailed on us once. Uh, we're not going to do that. Paul had a strong personality. And so Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took Silas, and they went their separate ways. But they didn't trash each other. And it all worked out in the end. Everything was fine. But there was a moment they went different ways. If you've ever had to part ways with another believer or another church, make sure you remember that they too are the body of Christ. Even though you may not see eye to eye, even though somebody may be wrong, if they're preaching Jesus, they're still the body of Christ. You know, whenever I'm talking to somebody, if they trash their old church and trash their old minister, what's in the back of my mind is we're probably next because we're not perfect either like anybody. So really be cautious about that. We don't help the cause of Christ when we criticize each other. And you know what? The same thing is true with churches as well. And that's why I try to avoid that sort of thing. Churches that are teaching the truth, we are not to compete with other churches. We are to complete others. We should only be critical when they are blatantly compromising the truth, when they're being heretical. And sometimes it has to be called out. But, um, but in this case, that doesn't seem to be happening. They were both teaching Jesus. And Paul says, whatever their motives may be, right or wrong, at least the gospel is going out. You know, I just think what a mature man he was, that he could see past the pettiness, he could see past his own feelings, his own hurt, no doubt, and say, at least Jesus is being preached. Those two groups are preaching Jesus. There are two other categories, not so much though. The third category are those who have a bad message, but they have a good motive. They have a bad message, but a good motive. There are some good people out there, and I know these people, they're very confused about truth. They love Jesus, they love people, but what they, what they say is very wrong. Either they're not biblical in what they teach, what we would call today the progressive church, which denies that Jesus is the only way to God, by the way, which is not Christian at all, or they might love the Lord, they merely might love people, but they're not showing that love. It's, it's a weird sort of thing. They're not showing, and they're sincere, 
but they're sincerely wrong. They got a bad message, a good motive, a good heart. The fourth group, though, are, are irredeemable in many ways. They have a bad message and a bad motive. And these are the ones that Paul calls enemies of the cross. They're just out to intentionally hurt the cause of Jesus. So understand those four groups. I hope you're in the first one. But there are people spread across the spectrum that you will come in contact with in the church and in sharing the gospel. So we need to have the right message and the right motive. And that's what we strive to do here at Journey Church. Our mission or our message is that we want to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. He is the only way for us to find eternal life. We want to move people to Jesus. Our vision, what we also call our motive, is that we love people, we love God, and we want to make disciples that make disciples. Trying to keep the good news and the right message, the right heart, everything in place. But you know what? Like the Apostle Paul, we admit we're not the only game in town. And that's what Paul was saying. But the main thing is that Christ is being preached and the gospel is being advanced. Now, looking at Paul, even though he's acknowledging this, it's got to be difficult for him. The guy who was leading, the guy who was pushing, the guy that was always out in front, he's now out of the game. And you might say, you know, if that were me, I would not be very optimistic. I, if I didn't know my future, I would be discouraged. I probably wouldn't be very joyful. But you know what? Paul is optimistic. He's joyful as he talks about the future. Let's pick up the scripture next, uh, next verse. And because of this, I rejoice. I, yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out to be for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, the language is a little bit difficult here. We kind of wade through it. But what Paul is saying is he's not really concerned about his own future because he has fully put his life in Christ. And if he's put his life in Christ's hands, then he knows that Christ wants him in prison at the time. And so he's going to be joyful about that, grateful for their prayers, grateful for God's provision and protection, but he's ready for whatever happens. If he's called to spend the rest of his life in prison, uh, it's not going to be great, but he, he'll handle that. If he's called to be tortured and put to death for Christ, probably doesn't want that personally, but he would do that for Jesus. Or even better, if he's set free, that would be great, you know? He just wants Christ to be exalted in his life. You know, I just look at that and I think, man, if we could just live like that, rolling with whatever happens, but just trying to get Christ to be number one in our life and the glory to come to him. And then in the middle of this text, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. There is a dilemma that Paul seems to be having here. He would prefer to die and be with Christ. He said that would be the best thing. That would be the best thing that could happen there. But he also knows that his work is not completed. And so he's kind of wrestling and, you know, arguing with himself here and saying, I, know, I think I'm going to remain and continue with all of you. I think I'm going to come back. I'll probably be back there again. I think I'm going to be free. 
because I don't think I'm going to die. But death would be the worst, the best thing that could happen. Let me ask you this. What do you think or what do we often think is the worst thing that could happen to us? We think the worst thing that could happen is that we could die, right? That seems to be the, the worst fear that we have. But what if I told you that the worst thing is actually the best thing that could ever happen to you? The worst thing that you think could happen would actually be the best thing that could happen if you are in Christ. The best thing. You know, I've seen things happen to people that I believe were worse than death. Worse than death. I believe there are conditions that people get in that are worse than death. One of our members, uh, Beth Bates, a uh, little, little short lady, used to be right, sat right back in the back every Sunday morning, greet everything. Uh, Beth, a, a few years ago, began the early stages of Alzheimer's and then advanced. And for the last two years, uh, she's been in a very incapacitated state in a nursing home. And this past Wednesday, she passed and went to be with the Lord. And for a long time, I have thought that would be worse than death. That would be horrible. To not be able to use your hands, to walk, to talk, to be aware of what was going on, that would be horrible. And so for Beth, uh, she, she loved the Lord. To live was Christ, but to die was gain. Gain. And even though we're not in that state, even the best life, the healthiest life, we should live for Christ. But even then, death would be gain for us. See, Paul acknowledged and realized that the dilemma really wasn't his. Even though he was wrestling with himself, he didn't really have a control over that, and neither do we. You and I can't determine what tomorrow holds for us, or today, as far as that goes. A lot of people who woke up this morning will not live to see tomorrow. Did you realize that? The reality of it, every day in the United States, 7,755 people die, maybe more with this virus, but that's the average that we have. Almost 3 million people a year in our country alone die. Now, that's kind of weird, and one thing you can do if you want to get really weird, get online and look up United States death clock. United States death clock. I don't know how I found that, but on this clock shows the people who have died in our country, not their names, but the numbers this year. Every 11 seconds, another number is added. And you watch that number increase every 11 seconds. It's a stark reality of life and death there. And here's the thing. One day that number will include you and I. One day the number will click and it will be our number. So let me give you some advice. Live every day in such a way that if you die, it will be better for you. Live every day in such a way that if you die, it will be better for you because I will tell you that not everybody who dies is it going to be good for them or better for them. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that there are many people who are on the wide road that leads to destruction, and those who are on the wide road when they die, it is not going to be better for them. They're going to eternal punishment. Only those who are on the narrow path will be the ones to go to eternal life, and it will be better for you. But this is the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel, and the reality alongside of that, not everybody, no, nobody wants to think about dying, but for the believer, death doesn't really have a sting. It doesn't really hurt. We shouldn't run toward death, but we also shouldn't fear death either. And you know, with Christ, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear death. What happens whenever we die? We all would love to know more about that. Paul gives us some really great insight. He says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So it's a better thing for us. And another place, he said, I desire to depart and be with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord pretty obvious. If we're here, we're not there. If we're there, we're not here. 
So whenever we die, we go to be with the Lord. Whenever we die as a believer, the body goes into the ground or into a vase, an urn, whatever, but the soul goes to be with the Lord for His safekeeping. And the Bible tells us that whenever Jesus returns to earth, He will bring with Him the souls of believers and the physical body, which has been destroyed, decayed, whatever, will be resurrected miraculously into a perfect resurrected body, and the soul and the body will merge and will enter heaven and we will party there for eternity. That's the short version of what happens there. I want to tell you, that is good news of great joy. That is good news of great joy. That's joy to the world. We need to rejoice in that. And that's why we can have joy today in spite of our sufferings and our struggles. In verse 27, we pick up and he says, whatever happens then, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul says, regardless of whether I die or come see you or not. And I do think he went and saw them again, visited with them. Live in such a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me ask you, do you do, you do that? Do you live like that in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ? You know, that's our calling, by the way. We have been bought and redeemed by Christ. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a pure and godly life. Are we living in a way that's worthy of our calling? We've been given this position. We've been made perfect, made holy. Are we living in a way that's fulfilling that in a practical way? Paul briefly summarizes our goal. He says we need to stand firm in the Spirit, work together for the gospel, be unafraid of the enemies. And you know they needed to hear that because many of the Christians to whom he was writing would one day be called to stand up to persecution because they were believers. And they would suffer. They would suffer imprisonment like Paul They would suffer torture. Some of them would would suffer death. But Paul says, when you do it, do it with joy. Even if you suffer, do it with joy. I don't think any of us would want to face persecution, but the Bible promises that we will. A little bit further on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why are we surprised when persecution or discrimination comes? Down through the years, millions of Christians have been persecuted. Some have been persecuted to death. Some have, uh, have been tortured through that. Some have been imprisoned, died horrible deaths. And here in America, we've largely escaped that. And I might remind you why, because we were founded on religious principles and religious freedom. But do not assume that persecution would never come to our country. Do not assume that. I think you would be wrong if you did. For many years, I've been convinced that I would see in my lifetime laws that would prohibit the reading of certain scriptures that are not politically correct. I believe we will see that, not just someone preaching about it, an opinion, but literally reading the Bible. And I think we may have received a respite in the last few years, but all that can change. And I believe we'll change as our culture grows less and less tolerant of God's truth And our laws may change with a more liberal administration or Congress. It could happen. We should not be surprised. 
And in fact, that's what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. When we look back at the Scripture and we look back at history, honestly, not having to suffer for our faith is more unusual than suffering. It's more unusual, and we need to acknowledge that. We may be called to participate in the sufferings of Christ because we are Christians. And if we are, we need to rejoice as we do. If we're insulted by our faith or discriminated against because of what we believe, then we should rejoice. We should rejoice in that. And you know what? I think we will. I see more discrimination coming for those of us who choose to believe that the Bible is fully inspired and true. I see more discrimination maybe to the point of persecution. I don't know. I believe that it may not come necessarily to the government, but I believe the progressive movement will start to criticize and minimize those of us who stand up for traditional and biblical values. We will be accused of being intolerant by those who are truly intolerant of anyone who does not believe as they do. You know, I think that we as Christians are extremely tolerant. I think we know what we believe. I think we stand on that. We believe it to be true, and we love people in spite of that. But what we don't always see on the other side, even among Christians in this progressive movement that I keep telling you about, is not a lot of love or tolerance for people who disagree. And I think that in many cases, it may even come through one of those groups I mentioned a few moments ago, those who might have good motives but a bad message, that we will see persecution come to our country. I believe that's true. Suffering will come both as a Christian human being and because we are Christians. But here's the thing, in spite of that, we can have joy and we should look for joy in any and all circumstances. That's what Paul's saying. Whatever the cause, the source, the reason for our suffering, we need to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Peter, in the scripture I just read, said rejoice, rejoice when you are persecuted. Now, I don't think that many of us today are dealing with persecution because we are a Christian but I know that many of us are dealing with suffering because we're human and because life stinks sometimes. Maybe it's because of this virus that you're struggling. You know, I have told people that they're not doing so well internally and mentally. We've been at this for several months, a long time, and it's just hard. It's, it's difficult not being with family, being isolated. That's hard. That's a suffering. There are people and more people who are becoming ill with this, and some of those folks have symptoms that they suffer. In the midst of this, there's plenty of other physical issues that people are experiencing, some of them not being treated, which makes it worse. Also, we know that, that people are, have passed. We know that loved ones have passed away. In the past, and, makes, and maybe around Christmas or Thanksgiving, it makes it hard. Maybe this year you've lost someone, and you're suffering, you're hurting inside. So if you're having trouble being joyful, I don't want to take that lightly, but let me remind you of some simple truths that can help you have joy in suffering. Number one, joy does not come from anything around us or in us. Joy comes from the Lord. Joy comes from the Lord. Secondly, joy is a fruit of the Spirit living in you. 
If the Holy Spirit is in you, He is producing this fruit, producing joy in your heart. So maybe you may be quenching some of His work in your life if you are not finding joy. Thirdly, joy can accompany other feelings. We can be joyful in spite of our sadness, joyful in spite of our fear, joyful in spite of of, uh, anxiety or depression. We can have those feelings, but other but also have joy in spite of those things. Joy is based on God's attributes, not my feelings. We look for joy to come through our happiness and our lightheartedness. And when that isn't there, sometimes we don't find joy. But, but joy is based on God's attributes, not our own feelings. Joy looks beyond the painful moments to a hopeful future. Joy doesn't dwell with just the instant moment that we're in it looks further beyond into the, the future, even into eternity. Joy comes from trusting God's promises, putting our, all of our faith and trust in Him, uh, like we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, called to His purposes. We find joy in promises like that. And God doesn't waste anything we experience. If you're having trouble finding joy, understand these circumstances in life that are difficult. God's allowed them to happen. We don't know why. But we know it's a sovereign God that allows these things. And then the last thing I would remind you is that joy endures. Difficult times don't last forever. Joy does. Romans chapter 8 says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Our present is not worth comparing with what we can experience and what will be revealed in us through Christ in the future. So I hope you're encouraged by those words. But let me say, back to that statement, live every day in such a way that, that death will be a better time for you. And the only way that you can have that is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you'd love to want to talk about that and your next step on your journey, uh, please get in touch with me. I would love to have that conversation with you.